This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour. Welcome to our program today, and thank you for joining us. I'm Jeremiah Jacques. Well, the April 2023 issue of the Philadelphia Trumpet will begin hitting mailboxes in the next few days. It's a powerful issue, and one of the big stories is about a war, a global war that is being waged against the U.S. dollar. More and more countries are joining in this fight to topple the U.S. currency, and it has sobering implications for America's longtime dominance in international finance. So for our first story of the show today, we'll hear about the details of this war on the dollar in a report from Josue Michels. But the main theme of the April 2023 issue is a very sobering look at the rise of demonism and demonic influence in modern society. There are several powerful articles on this topic, which you can hear about in last week's episode of Trumpet Hour. That's the February 22nd episode. And it is truly disturbing to learn about how deep many have been drawn into all kinds of darkness and spiritual perversion. But what should be perhaps just as alarming for many is that for most individuals who end up in that kind of extreme, some of their first steps in that direction didn't really seem to them like a big deal. Yes, it was a bit of self-indulgence and escapism, but nothing more than most others engage in. So in our second segment of today's episode, we'll hear about how these maybe seemingly harmless indulgences can be gateways to far more extreme problems in a report from Mr. Abraham Blondeau. The third story today will go in a different direction. It'll be examining the zeal and fervor that is driving many elements of the climate crusade. The warriors in this battle are often very sincere, and they're pushing with all they've got toward really what is a dystopian future. We'll learn about this zealous crusade and what the real solution to these problems is in a report from Rufaro Manyepa. And our last word today is about an unprecedented decision that the U.S. government made on this day in history back in the year 1872. This was a beautiful decision that has ended up enriching life for millions of people and it has ongoing implications for all of us even today. So we'll leave a bit of suspense about the details of that for now, and we'll begin with a look at the war on the U.S. dollar in this report from Josue Michels. The massive United States economy has been at the center of world finance for decades. But that economy and international system based on it cannot last forever. Anyone willing to face the reality of America's impossible, enormous debt can see that this is an economy that is gravely sick. Other nations recognize this and seek to protect themselves and to take advantage. The system set up after World War II used the US dollar as the main currency for international transactions. This status brings a high demand for U.S. dollars. It also means that the U.S. has been able to print 
or electronically create enormous amounts of dollars without a value of those dollars decreasing nearly as much as it normally would. Adding this asset to the nation's large population, abundant national resources, advanced industry, dominant military, geographic advantages and other blessings has helped make America the wealthiest nation in world history. At this point it is also perhaps one of the most financially reckless nations. In the last few years it has printed trillions of dollars. Its exorbitant debt has doubled since 2010 and tripled since 2008, surpassing 31 trillion last year. The United States has long been warned that its reckless financial spending will have consequences. But those warnings have been ignored. As it continues to make financial decisions that are mathematically impossible to sustain, as its government and society become increasingly self-destructive, as its interests clash with those of other nations, and as it uses the dollar, dominant financial system, to impose sanctions on its rivals, the dollar becomes less and less attractive, and alternative currencies and systems become more and more so. The dollar is facing many threats, any of which could prove fatal to an already ailing currency. It's possible that more than one of these factors could strike at the same time. Americans should recognize that their economic system and the correspondent prosperity could collapse almost overnight. How close are we to the moment that the global financial system will turn against America? Over the last 70 years, Americans have enjoyed extraordinary prosperity, and with America's rise, other nations were lifted out of poverty as well. However, America has also grown increasingly materialistic. This spirit of excess and selfishness, financed largely by debt, is killing the American economy. And when the economy collapses, so too will society. The average consumer credit card balance in 2022 was over $5,500. Individuals have responded to rising costs and uncertainty by continuing to live beyond their means. At the same time, the U.S. trade deficit rose. What happens when U.S. government institutions can no longer pay their debts? $24.5 trillion to the American public. 24.5 trillion to other US government institutions and 4.5 trillion to foreign nations. What happens when trillions in imports stop flowing? Financial horror would result. Other nations notice and have already begun decoupling from the US economy. The US dollar was set up as the dominant currency for international transactions in 1944. The dollar was tied to major currencies at a fixed exchange rate backed by gold. However, the US backed the dollar with less and less gold until 1971, when it abandoned the gold standard completely. 
Today's central banks around the world are again amassing gold at a rate not seen in more than 50 years. Major economies in Asia and the Middle East are collecting gold and forming alliances. At the same time, these nations are uniting against US sanctions. The US has dominated international finance through its currency and established financial systems, but US sanctions appear to be losing some of their punch. The US blocked Russia from access to some of these systems due to its invasion of Ukraine. Yet in its 2023 forecast, the IMF expects that Russia will be economically better off than Germany and the United Kingdom. Sanctions against Russia have failed. Why? EU intelligence wrote, quote, Our blunt answer is this. A large part of the world hates us, America, more than hates Russian President Vladimir Putin. End of quote. Even during a full-scale invasion of a neighboring country, Russia appears to have more friends than enemies. And even its supposed enemies seem half-hearted. Large economies such as Brazil, China and India have remained neutral and have not imposed strict sanctions on Russia. EU intelligence wrote, quote, The world is almost united in condemnation of the war, but when it comes to sanctions, large parts of the world are united in opposition to the West. End of quote. Meanwhile, Iran and Russia signed an agreement in early 2023 to decouple from the US dominant system and create a system to connect their banks directly and free them from the US financial pressure. Even other Western nations that depend on the US financial system work to prevent the sanctions early on. Germany, for example, has been accused of preventing serious sanctions such as cutting Russia off from SWIFT. That's the main payment method used by businesses around the world. US enemies and allies around the world can see these major signs that US financial dominance is waning. The European Euro and the Chinese renminbi currencies have been nibbling at the dollar's dominance. The formation of the Eurozone in 1999 greatly reduced the use of the US dollar in Europe. 2023 is seeing a similar trend in Latin America. In January, Brazil and Argentina announced early talks in the creation of a common currency and plans to invite others to join the bloc in the future. Brazil and Argentina are the largest and third largest economies in Latin America. If this currency is successful, others in Latin America may join as well. The Bank of International Settlement, also called the Bank for Central Banks, claims that the US system is flawed and needs to be replaced. It started the Ambridge technology to connect digital currencies of central banks, which could be a step to replace the need for US clearinghouses. Another major factor that has upheld the strength of the dollar is its connection to oil. Most countries use the US dollar as the currency for international oil trade. The foundation for the so-called petrodollar was late in 1945. At the time, trust in the US economy and military was high. But a lot has changed since 1945. 
Financial Times wrote, quote, It was the beginning of one of the most important geopolitical alliances of the past 70 years, in which U.S. security in the Middle East was bartered for oil packed in dollars. But times change, and 2023 may be remembered as the year that this grand bargain began to shift, as a new world energy order between China and the Middle East took shape. On December 8, 2022, Chinese General Secretary Xi Jinping signed a strategic partnership agreement with Saudi Arabia, the largest producer of crude oil in the world. Now we may see the beginning of the petro-yuan. National Interest noted on January 3rd that G's trip set off a storm of anxiety in Washington. Saudi Arabia helped strengthen the US dollar, now it may turn to strengthen the Chinese renminbi instead. On January 17th, Saudi Arabia announced that the government is open to accepting payment for oil and currencies other than the dollar. Economist Paul Craig Roberts wrote on January 30th, quote, The end of the petrodollar would have severe adverse effects on the value of the dollar and on U.S. inflation and interest rates, end of quote. If oil is no longer sold in dollars, then a gigantic and critical chunk of international trade will begin functioning according to the interests of other nations. Demand for the dollar will drop, as will its value. The resulting economic upheaval would affect not only the US, but also Europe. Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry wrote in the October 2015 Trumpet, quote, The 2008 financial meltdown was fueled primarily by America's outrageous debt. Yet what has the US done to correct that problem? Absolutely nothing. End of quote. Again, the cross-national debt that reached a staggering $10.3 trillion in 2008 has since tripled to $31 trillion. The writing is on the wall. If a debt crisis explodes, the shockwaves will once again be felt in Europe. How will Europe respond this time? Biblical prophecy provides reliable clues to the answer. In an end-time prophecy in Revelation 17, the Bible speaks of the rise of ten authoritarian leaders in Europe that will unite in one moment. Such a dramatic political shift will almost certainly come in response to a major crisis, a crisis that drives Europe towards stronger unity and authoritarian rule. These and other prophecies led the late Herbert W. Armstrong to write in 1984 that this crisis could well be a massive banking crisis in America. Such an event, he wrote, could suddenly result in triggering European nations to unite as a new world power larger than either the Soviet Union or the US. The mounting pressure on the American economy and US dollar raised the question, how close are we to witnessing this very crisis? If this does in fact occur, such a crisis would hasten the fulfillment of many prophecies. The rise of this prophesied European power will be only the beginning of trouble. 
numerous prophecies show that U.S., one of the main descendants of ancient Israel, will be isolated in this end time. Ezekiel 38 prophesies that Russia will be a leading power during the latter years. Ezekiel 27 shows that Russia's strength is derived in part from an economic alliance. A related passage in Isaiah 23 prophesies about a mart of nations. Mr. Flew explains in his book Isaiah's Anti-Ambition that his economic alliance will revolve around a European superpower and that the alliance's goal is to destroy the United States. Ezekiel 27 together with Isaiah 23 show that major economies such as Europe, China, Russia, Saudi Arabia and Japan are working together to bring down the US due to its economic and strategic importance and proximity to the United States we believe Latin America will also play a crucial role in its destruction. In the end America will fall in an economic siege leading to a civil war. You can read about that in Deuteronomy 28 verse 52, Ezekiel chapters 5 and 6. This siege will have devastating consequences for the American people. Deuteronomy 28 verse 53 reads, And you shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and of your daughters, which the Lord your God has given you, in this siege and in the straightness wherewith your enemies shall distress you. This prophecy connects to many end-time prophecies, all of which are warnings for our day. Just as America has failed to heed the financial warnings, it has also ignored God's call to repentance from breaking his laws, summarized in the Ten Commandments. The Bible specifically shows that an economic war against the U.S. will be followed by a military invasion. The stage for these previously impossible events is now being set. And a looming financial crisis is a strong sign that we are nearing the fulfillment of all these prophecies. It takes a deep study into these prophecies to see that events all around them are leading to their fulfillment. It takes an even deeper study to understand why these events must happen to motivate mankind to repent for our sins. Our book, Isaiah's End Time Vision, takes its reader through these various prophecies and shows how they all connect. is the voice of the Trumpet News Magazine. You're listening to Trumpet Hour. Vast numbers of people are regularly escaping into activities that they generally view as harmless, largely because so many people regularly engage in these kinds of activities and pursuits. Cannabis, video games, pornography. Making these kinds of things a part of life seems harmless to more and more people, but it's actually deeply problematic and it's opening the way to even more serious trouble. 
as we'll hear about now in this report from Mr. Abraham Blundeau. When I worked as a manager at one of the world's largest retail companies, I came into contact with hundreds of interesting and unique individuals. Despite their different backgrounds and personalities, most engaged in three things after work, drugs, video games, and pornography. Some people's entire lifestyles revolved around satisfying these desires. Some scheduled their vacation days around video game releases. One would work a 10-hour shift, stay up all night playing World of Warcraft, then come to work the next day without sleeping. Some would get high as soon as they got home from work, and others were caught watching pornography while clocked in. The more a co-worker was steeped in drugs, video games, or pornography, the more emotionally unstable they were. This was clearly evident. You could see some people's lives start to spiral downward, and they didn't understand why. Facing financial worries, terrible family relationships, twisted romantic interests, and a lack of purpose, many, many people are turning to drugs, video games, and pornography for escape and pleasure. For many, these are coping mechanisms for the increasing pressures of everyday life. These activities in particular pull the mind away from reality and place them in a fantasy of their choosing. But these activities reduce conscious control of the mind and usually people fall into an open-minded state where they accept whatever content is flowing into their mind. It reduces the individual's control over their thoughts and actions. And these are actions that break God's law. However, there is another dimension to these sins. Drugs, video games, and pornography actually create a spiritual gateway into your mind. Indulging in these activities opens your mind to the evil spiritual realm. Good and evil obviously exist, Both are matters of the spirit, and the human mind is where the physical and the spiritual meet. We have physical brains powered by the human spirit, which you can read in Job 32 verse 8. This human spirit is what makes us different from animals, who have brains but no spirit. The human spirit is what gives the brain the power of intellect. This is some critical revelation from the Bible. And you can read more about this in our booklet, What Science Can't Discover About the Human Mind, which you can order or read on the trumpet.com. But even though our bodies, our brains, and our world is physical, it is all connected to the unseen spiritual world. Everything that happens in our minds is connected to the spiritual world as well. Each decision we make has spiritual consequences. The physical universe is governed by physical laws like gravity and the conservation of mass and many others. Similarly, human thought and conduct is governed by spiritual law. Both are from the same creator. This law is very simple. It has been summed up into one word, give. Jesus Christ summarized it as loving your creator more than yourself and loving your neighbor as much as yourself which he explained in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. This principle is further elaborated in the Ten Commandments, which are further elaborated throughout the entire Bible. 
They are not arbitrary rules, but explain how physical and spiritual reality work. Breaking these laws incur a penalty, just like violating a physical law has consequences. Yet most people are rebelling against spiritual reality and the physical reality and suffering the consequences. They are choosing the way of get. This way of vanity, gratification, and putting the self above everyone and everything also has a source, Satan the devil. This exaltation of one's own will against physical and spiritual reality results in suffering, curses, and ultimately eternal death. Romans 6 verse 23. The reality is there's only two ways of life, the way of give and the way of get. The very first human beings were presented with a clear choice between these two ways of life. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they were given a choice between the two. The late Herbert W. Armstrong explains this in his Magnus Opus work, Mystery of the Ages, in which he writes, quote, Once he, Adam, succumbed to Satan's way of choosing to do his own thing in rebellion against a deliberate command of God, he became spiritually the property of Satan. He actually had succumbed to the government of Satan, choosing the law of that government, the law of vanity, self-centeredness, leading automatically into attitudes of self-glory, coveting, competition, desire to get rather than God's way of give. All humanity came out of Adam and Eve. The present world was founded in them. The world has ever since been held captive. The world has thus chosen the way of the kidnapper rather than of the potential parent, God. End quote. Adam and Eve listened to Satan and chose the way of get. Consequently, all of their descendants have followed in that path. And that means all of us, every human that has ever lived, has followed in that path. This is all a matter of cause and effect. As the April 2023 issue of The Trumpet shows, the whole world is and has been ruled not by God, but by the God of this world, Satan the devil. And you can read that in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 and Revelation 12, verse 9. Our minds are automatically tuned into his broadcasts of attitudes and emotions based on get, on vanity, on selfishness. You can read this in Ephesians 2, verse 2, which says, quote, Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, end quote. The Bible explains that Satan the devil actually can broadcast emotions, moods, attitudes through the air, just like a radio receives an unseen signal to its antenna. And you can listen to uh, music or, or audio through that. So does Satan broadcast attitudes and moods into the human mind? And we are all open to that because of Adam and Eve's decision in the Garden of Eden. Drugs, pornography, and excessive indulgence in video games are three dangerous gateway sins. These break God's law and open the human mind even more to Satan's intense broadcasts. There are multiple reasons for this. First, any action that breaks God's law is sin. 
and that sets us on the path of the opposite attitude and way of life to God's. This is cause and effect. Only obedience to God's law cause happiness and fulfillment. This is how every human has been created. Drugs, pornography, and nearly all video games directly break God's law and endorses a lifestyle that is contrary to God. This entrenches our minds in the wrong attitudes of selfishness, vanity, and lust. As Ephesians 2 said, these are broadcasted from Satan and open our minds to those wavelengths. Second, these sins are also designed, engineered, and marketed to be highly addictive. All three of these sins are designed to cause dopamine hits to the brain, and your mind can become addicted to finding dopamine streams from these sins, hence why people use them to cope with the stresses of life. The creators of these sins deliberately engineer them to be addictive. You can easily become permanently hooked. Once you become addicted to the temporary good feeling of these sins, you increasingly decide to follow the lust and desire for another which in turn opens the mind to more broadcasts of selfishness, vanity, and perversion. The content of these sins is also anti-God and is authored from Satan's mind. Drugs open the mind to outside influences, and people often experience thoughts that are not theirs, but come from another source, as explained in Ephesians 2. Pornography is anti-family, destroys the natural affection and desire for a spouse, and causes an individual to view sex as a selfish, lustful exploit, rather than a building block of stable marriages and families that God intended. Video games are often violent, full of sexual imagery, or immerse an individual into a demonic environment. Some of the most popular horror games feature demons, zombies, and grotesque scenes of cannibalism and torture. These are things that Satan and the demons love which you can read in John 8, verse 44. It is no coincidence that demonism has increased as these three gateway sins have increased. These sins are now so pervasive and so common, it is difficult to find anyone in our society who does not dabble in any of these three gateway sins. Although they often could not see it themselves, there was a clear reason why my work associates became more unstable, angry, and even unhinged there is a reason why their lives began falling apart. This is spiritual reality. This is cause and effect. The more you open your mind to sin, the stronger its influence becomes. The more you indulge in temporary pleasures, the more addicted you find yourself, and the stronger the spiritual gateway becomes. It's a death spiral, and many people are trapped in a trajectory of spiritual ruin. The law of cause and effect remains. This means the opposite choice remains available to you. You can reject these tempting gateway sins and choose the life of blessings. Even if you have indulged in these vices, you can repent. With God's help, you can choose instead to follow the counsel of Philippians 4 verse 8, which says, quote, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. End quote. The results of our choices to indulge in gateway sins are becoming increasingly obvious. The creator of your mind has something so much greater for you. 
There is hope. He gave us the incredible human brain combined with the human spirit for the very purpose of connecting your mind to his mind. Philippians 2 verse 5. Instead of building a gateway to the evil spiritual realm, you can actually build a gateway right to God the Father and Jesus Christ. This is accomplished through God giving you the Holy Spirit. But first it starts with rejecting the gateway sins and submitting to his law and his way of life, the way of give. This is what Herbert W. Armstrong wrote in the book, The Incredible Human Potential. He wrote, First, God put in the physical man a human spirit. It is not, however, the human spirit that makes the decisions, comes to repentance, or builds the character. As I've emphasized, the spirit does not impart life, cannot see, hear, feel, or think. It empowers the physical man through his brain to do these things. But this spirit records every thought, every bit of knowledge received through the five senses, and it records whatever character, good or bad, that is developed in human life. The human man is made literally of from clay. God is like the master potter forming and shaping a vessel out of clay. But if the clay is too hard, it will not bend into the form and shape he wants. If it is too soft and moist, it lacks firmness to stay put, or the potter bends it. Notice in Isaiah 64 verse 8, it says, But now, O Eternal, you are our Father, and we are the clay, and you are our potter, and we are all the work of your hand. Yet God has given each of us a mind of his own. If one refuses to acknowledge God or God's ways, refuses to repent of the wrong way and turn to the right, God cannot take him and create godly character in him. But the human clay must be pliable, must yield willingly. If the human stiffens up and resists, he is like the clay that is too dry and stiff. The potter can do nothing with it. It will not give and bend. Also, if he is so lacking in will, purpose, and determination that he won't stay put when God molds him partly into what God wants him to be, to wishy-washy, weak, lacking root of character, he will never endure to the end. He will lose out. We are in truth the work of his hands. Yet we ourselves must do our part in this spiritual development. If we lazily neglect Bible study and prayer, or if we let other material interests become more important and we neglect such great salvation, we lose out. End quote. These gateway sins, they stop God shaping us into his form and image, into being a part of his spiritual family. But rejecting these gateway sins, and instead choosing the opposite way, it allows us to bridge the gap between man and God. Talking to God in prayer and obeying his law with his help opens the gateway to your Father in heaven, who wants nothing less than to nourish and develop your mind to the point where you can be born into his family. Romans 8 verse 14. The choice between the two is not an easy one, but it is yours to make. You can break free from the gateway sins and instead form a gateway with your Father in heaven. You can read more about this incredible opportunity in our free book, The Incredible Human Potential.
This is Trumpet Hour. Climate crusaders, activists who want national governments to tightly restrict virtually all aspects of human activity. There are growing numbers of these kinds of zealots just calling for more and more radical measures, even measures that are not supported by sound science, to be implemented, as we will hear about now in this report from Rufaro Manyepa. Greta Thunberg released a new book at the end of last year called The Climate Book. Here's how she starts that book off. Quote, there are no black and white issues in life, no categorical answers. Everything is subject for endless debate and compromise. This is one of the core principles of our current society, a society which, when it comes to sustainability, has a lot to answer for. Because that core principle is wrong. There are some issues that are black and white, end quote. According to Greta Thunberg, one such issue is climate change. The climate and ecological crisis, she says, is the greatest threat that humanity has ever faced. Science has never done this before. From the theory of evolution, the Big Bang theory, and questions about the missing link, science has rarely ever been dogmatic about anything until now, that is, until climate change. Now, I'm not trying to pick on a 20-year-old, but one might be forgiven for thinking that Greta was talking about religion, not climate change. She is the young, popular figurehead for a powerful dogma with a powerful clergy and millions, if not billions, of adherents. And almost all of them believe they are right, not wrong, black, not white, that they have the categorical answer. Let's assume that they do. Let's assume that they are right. What do they then believe that mankind needs to do? What does repentance look like for the climate change believers? You've probably already heard some of it before. You need to stop eating meat. You need to get an electric vehicle, buy less food, stop cooking with gas, etc., etc. In isolation, these look harmless enough. But in a black and white world, in a world where not doing these things directly causes the greatest ever threat to humanity, these things aren't an option but a necessity. They have to be embraced wholeheartedly. But is that where it stops, with all of us driving electric cars? According to a January 2023 report from the University of California in Davis, it can't stop, not until none of us have any kind of car. The report says electric cars are great, but if everyone is driving one, that would triple the number of electric vehicle batteries that are produced, which would be bad. Because, as the trumpet first reported years ago, most electric vehicles are actually worse for the environment than a fuel-efficient engine. The solution, therefore, the report says, is to reduce dependence on private vehicles. It calls for encouraging biking and walking, which is a decent thing, while removing all free parking, curbing all on-street parking, and making oversized vehicles unaffordable. Ultimately, 
The movement goes from supporting electric vehicles to supporting having no vehicles at all. And this zealotry is evident in other doctrines as well. The report also calls for densifying low-density suburbs while allowing more people to live in existing high-density urban spaces. Another doctrine is that we were once told to reduce the number of flights we take for the environment. The David Suzuki Foundation says we need to stop flying altogether. We were once told to move to a plant-based diet and cut out beef, lamb and dairy. But Oxford University researcher Joseph Poor says certain fruits and vegetables like asparagus, avocados and mangoes have a dangerously high carbon footprint. Even our banking habits, the BBC says, could be bad for the environment. But it doesn't end there. By far, the greatest environmental impact, they say, individuals can have is to have one fewer child. Having one fewer child will save the equivalent of 58.6 tons of carbon dioxide a year. One NBC piece read, Science proves kids are bad for the earth. Morality suggests we stop having them. Now, not everyone is on board with this, but it is a growing trend. Morgan Stanley analysts say that the movement to not have children owing to fears over climate change is growing and impacting fertility rates quicker than any preceding trend in the field of fertility decline. And so here's where the climate crusade would stop. It would stop when all of us are packed together in a vegan, flight-restrictive, vehicle-free, high-density slum forbidden from having more than one child. That's not an exaggeration or a logical leap. Because when adherents believe that only the extreme will save us from extinction, the extreme becomes the rational. The climate clergy would be in charge of what we eat, how we travel, where we live, and how many children we would be allowed to have. Now, the basic observations of the climate change proponents are totally wrong. Human beings can and should do better when it comes to the environment. And God actually agrees. The Bible says God cares about how we interact with the environment. Jeremiah 2 verse 7, Revelation 11 verse 18 say that God condemns those who defile the earth and he visits his wrath on those who destroy the earth. However, the Bible and climate change theory are different in the most fundamental aspect. No matter how dogmatic these climate crusaders are, the climate change doctrine is incorrect. It is propped up by a combination of shoddy science and fear-mongering. There is no scientific consensus, no categorical, no black and white, no irrefutable evidence of man-made climate change. You can learn more about this in our article, Greenhouse Apocalypse. But the Bible is different. 
Today, it's out of fashion to look to God and the Bible, but it is the only source of a real, irrefutable reason for increasing weather disasters. Nahum 1 verse 3 says God is in control of the whirlwind and the storm. Job 38 verse 28 calls God the father of the rain and the dew. Amos 4 verse 7 says that God withholds rain and causes drought. And 2 Chronicles 6 verse 26 gives the reason why. It says that when the heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against God. The Bible makes it clear that the primary cause of these weather disasters is sin, which is the transgression of God's law. No one of any belief would dispute, would argue that pornography, violence, illicit sex, drug abuse, and many other problems are as prevalent in society today as they have ever been. The rise of these social practices is directly proportional to the increasing frequency and devastation of weather-related disasters. And so, the Bible also gives us a clear and simple solution. Keeping God's law. Leviticus 26 verses 3 to 4 read, If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, Then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. There is clear cause and effect. Why? Because obedience brings blessings and happiness. Disobedience brings misery and pain and suffering. The climate crusade can only achieve true sustainability through eco-socialism. That's the ultimate goal of this cult, and that's what it really is. It has millions of adherents who might be sincere in their belief, but are being led by people who are pretending to care about the environment in order to amass total and unquestioned power. Enough power to tell you what you can or can't eat or drive, where you can live or travel or how, and even how many children you can have. Our editor-in-chief, Mr. Gerald Flurry, said this in the August 2017 Trumpet. The governments most in favor of confronting climate change are the socialist, Marxist-type governments that want to control everything. Climate change has become something like a religion for the radical left, he says. They believe it as an article of faith, regardless of evidence. It is a tool they are using to increase their control. How radicals have labeled climate change the greatest threat to mankind's continued existence is the perfect justification for these eco-fascists to introduce authoritarianism in the name of safeguarding human survival. And they will not rest until everyone lives in a slum totally dependent on them for everything. God is the solution to this dark future. His law is the answer. 
If we repent and turn our hearts to God, we can be happy and fulfilled living the abundant way of life that he intends for us with family at the center, with his law at the center, and we will be free to receive his blessings and enjoy the life that he intends for us. It's time for today's Last Word. Today is March 1st of 2023, and on this day back in 1872, something unprecedented happened in the United States. In the decades before that fateful day, more and more Americans were pushing into the western parts of the U.S., and many were commercializing western lands, establishing monopolies on water rights and also on timber rights, and just engaging in all kinds of development. Much of that settlement was good for the people and good for the land and the country. But in 1872, after years of studying the stunning beauty of a certain chunk of land in Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho, President Ulysses S. Grant signed a law protecting that land and preserving it. People were free to keep on settling and commercializing millions of other acres in this region, but this certain area of about 2.2 million acres was marked off so that its natural beauty could be safeguarded and enjoyed by any who chose to visit it. This area was what we now know as Yellowstone National Park, and its creation on this day in 1872 marked the establishment of the world's first national park. And the idea to protect land in order to preserve its God-given beauty was seen as a momentous success, and so the idea ended up being replicated elsewhere. Yellowstone became the first of dozens of national parks here in America, and its influence also spilled across the United States borders, inspiring scores of countries around the world to protect, or better protect, parts of their territory. Today, there are some 6,000 national parks in more than 100 nations. So here we are on this March 1st anniversary of the establishment of the first national park. And this is an excellent time for each of us to think about the benefits of spending time in God's creation. And the benefits are numerous. Several studies acknowledge a link between spending time with nature and happiness. Our bodies are proven to produce lower levels of pro-inflammatory cytokine when we're observing nature's beauty. Our focus also measurably improves, and so does our memory. And people also consistently report a significantly increased sense of well-being when they're enjoying the outdoors. One recent study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences found that being in nature diminishes blood flow to the subgenual prefrontal cortex, which is that part of the brain that is generally associated with negative thoughts. 
So that's part of the reason for that increased sense of well-being. And then there are many other health benefits that come from spending time in nature as well, including reductions in anxiety and depression, enhanced performance on creative problem-solving, reduction in inflammation, improved immune function, and the list goes on and on. And the benefits in many of these areas is especially strong in children. So this is very relevant in this modern world where many of us spend our days at work or school just bathed in fluorescent lighting, staring at computer monitors. And then many go home to spend hours gawking at laptops and phone and TV screens. Spending time appreciating nature can be a powerful antidote, or at least a counterbalance, to those activities. And the Bible shows that there can also be immense spiritual benefits to spending time in nature. And that's because the physical creation is the product of a perfect spiritual mind. And we can better understand that perfect mind by studying his work, his physical creation. Romans 1 verse 20 says, The invisible things of him are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So the physical creation proclaims God's eternal power. It lets us see his brilliance, his excellence, his love, and glory. When we enter into it in the right attitude, we can really gain insight into the mind of the Creator. We learn that from the microscopic to the macrocosmic, he weaves excellence and splendor through every layer of his handiwork. We learn that he is the author of indescribable beauty. He is supremely intelligent, organized, and perfectionistic. And we learn that his power has no bounds. We can also learn by comparing our own abilities to those of God, just a very valuable sense of proportion. This latter lesson is addressed in the book of Job, Job chapter 38, in which God gives an admonition to Job that is really relevant to all people. And the basic lesson is this, as you experience this physical world, you should perceive God's power, that power that brought it into being, and you should understand the vastness of that power. And that understanding should help you become more humble and more reverential toward the Creator. In Psalm 95, David wrote, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hands are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it and his hands formed the dry land. So it's clear that David was deeply humbled to experience the physical world that was made by God's hand. And when we experience the creation, which we can do with intensity when we visit a place like Yellowstone, then we can likewise be humbled and filled with gratitude and reverence. We can let a Psalm 95 kind of humility permeate us. And of course, to experience these benefits, we don't have to be beside some majestic waterfall in Yellowstone or in some other pristine national park. Really, a single blade of grass whispers the same story that is shouted by Yellowstone Lake or by the Grand Prismatic Spring.
So whether you're able to plan a trip to a national park or just step out into your yard, there are some real benefits to taking time to enjoy God's creation in the right frame of mind. The benefits can be profound. And if you would like to better understand more about how to have that frame of mind and more about the perfect being who created the manifold splendors of the natural world and the vast universe and who created you with the potential to be born into his family, please order your free copy of Mystery of the Ages by Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong. You can find a link to that in the show notes for today's episode of Trumpet Hour, or you can just go to thetrumpet.com and order your copy there. And you can also find the articles there that today's reports were based on. That's at thetrumpet.com. I'm Jeremiah Jacques, and we are coming to the end of Trumpet Hour. You can email us any comments you may have about today's episode. The address is letters at thetrumpet.com. I'd like to thank my guests, Josue Michels, Mr. Abraham Blondeau, and Rafaro Manyepa. Thanks also to Nicholas Irwin and Jesse Hester for taking care of the audio work for this episode. And I'll leave you with this thought from John Muir, who was instrumental in the establishment of many of America's national parks. He said, Oh, these forest gardens of our father, what perfection, what divinity in their architecture. What simplicity and mysterious complexity of detail. Who shall read the teaching of these sylvan pages, the glad brotherhood of rills that sing in the valleys, and all the happy creatures that dwell in them under the tender keeping of a father's care. Thank you for joining us on Trumpet Hour. Until next time, keep watching your world.